That is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you. Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. Onesimus? I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me a little while as I'm in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He's no longer a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is your beloved brother, a beloved brother especially to me. Now, he will mean much more to you both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, I write this with my own hand. I will repay it, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Yes, my brother, please do this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. All right. Good morning, Christ Church. Good to be with you this morning. I'm Pastor Andrew, one of the pastors here, and we are in week two of a series specifically diving into a very small but very powerful jam-packed letter in the New Testament, the latter part of the Bible. It's called Philemon. So if you've got your devices, if you've got your Bible, or if you want to grab your half sheet that was in your handout this morning, you can follow along. We are doing something very specifically tied to the text. We're looking at the Bible in a specific kind of way. One of the, I'm going to kind of recap you a little bit. We, we, are, we are using an exegetical study is what this is called. And uh, we do this every so often here at Christ Church, and it really means a line-by-line, verse-by-verse study of the book. It's getting very specific to the word choices and what was used, the phrases, trying to understand and see what God is speaking through his word. And Philemon is such a small book, it's such a small and yet impactful book, that we actually managed to fit the entire book on one and a half pages. So you have the entire book of the Bible here uh, that we are going to be studying in these last week and this week. So if, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have an app, you can just use this. You can follow along. We're going to be picking up where we stopped off last week. If you weren't here with us last week, let me give you a, co- a couple reminders, just kind of a recap really quick on what we've seen so far in terms of the book of Philemon. A couple things to remember. One, this book was written as a letter. 
Uh, though we refer to them as books in the Bible, uh, this specific book of the Bible was actually a letter written from a guy named Paul to his friend Philemon. That's why it's called the book of Philemon. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to Philemon, and although it was written specifically to Philemon, it was addressed to Philemon, uh, if you remember from last week, it's not only intended for Philemon, but also for all of the other Christians that Philemon was associated with, Philemon's church. Uh, There's a good chance that Philemon was affluent, that he had a lot of resources. And as a result, there's a specific line in there that we, we, we went into a little bit last week that says, to the church that meets in your house. And so this letter was sent to Philemon and the church that was meeting in Philemon's house. He probably played host and welcomed the Christians that were in the city into his home. And that served as their church. They got together for a church service. And as part of that church service experience, the expectation of the letter was that it would be publicly read. And so this letter that Paul was writing to Philemon, Philemon would have gotten and would have taken the time to publicly read it to all of those who were Christians alongside of him meeting as part of his church. And so this letter is indeed written to Philemon, but it's intended to edify and instruct the entire church, not only Philemon's church, but our church as well. It's amazing that here we are all of these years later, decades, centuries later, and we are doing the exact same thing that this letter was intended. That as a church body, we would gather around it and hear from it and seek to understand what God might be saying through it, allowing it to edify and build us up. So this is a public letter, and it was written by a very specific figure, Paul. Paul was a very influential figure in the early church. He was a church planter, and so he would travel the world planting churches. And as he would plant a church, he'd hang out there for a year. He would build them up in the faith, in the Christian confessions and what Christians believe. And then he would travel on, and he would write letters back to those churches that he had started. For example, the one that, he was, that Philemon was a part of. Paul would have started this church moved on, and is now writing a letter back to that church. Uh, As Paul is writing this, we find out that Paul is asking a favor of Philemon. That's kind of where we left off last week. That that the last kind of moment we got to was that that, that Paul is very uh, uh, strategically and and with beautiful rhetoric, very well written letter, uh, sets Philemon up into such position that as he's reading this letter publicly, it's really hard to turn down a favor when Paul writes to him in such a way that he has to read it in front of the entire congregation. And so it really, Paul does not give Philemon a lot of choice on the favor that he's about to ask of him. And we talked about how this is actually very reflective of us as Christians, that as Christians, there's not as much wiggle room as we might like to think always, that we are really held captive to the gospel, that our lives, our choices, our decisions, that that when Christ becomes Lord and Master, when Christ steps into our lives, that we as Christians start to live and think and act differently, that our decisions begin to be made in a different way and in light of the gospel. And there's not much choice we have in that, that we feel so compelled because of the gospel that we choose to live 
differently. And so Paul is setting this up beautifully with Philemon, ready to ask a favor. And that's where we pick up today. If you're following on the, along in the half sheet, uh, I'm going to start reading from the big, big paragraph there, the third one. Uh, that is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. But I realized last week my eyes aren't that good, so I've blown it up, and I have a bigger version here. Uh, we're using the NLT translation for those who are interested, or if you're looking up stuff on your devices, we're using the NLT translation. This is where we pick up. It's in verse 8. That is why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do, but because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you. That's what we talked about last week. Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. Now here's the favor. You ready? I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. Everybody say Onesimus. Excellent. So it's kind of a funky word. It's a funky name, uh, but it's because it's Greek. And in Greek, it actually has a translation, just like all of your names have like a, a meaning behind them. Onesimus has a meaning to it. And Onesimus means, is translated as useful. That's what his name means. And it's actually a marvelous play on words that Paul picks up to. Uh, Onesimus, Onesimus is Philemon's servant, slave. Back in the context, back in that time period, slaves and servants were a commonplace among the the, the Roman world. And Onesimus, as we come to find out, was a slave, a servant to Philemon. And so Paul here is saying, I am asking you, Philemon, to show kindness to my child, my friend, Onesimus, your slave and your servant. Following from there, I became his father in faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. I am sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. What's going on? Well, Onesimus, as a servant and slave of Philemon, has run away. He took off. He left behind Philemon and ran. And as he was running, through whatever circumstances, happened to experience and run into Paul. While Paul was in prison, Paul and Onesimus start having conversations, and Onesimus becomes a Christian. That's why Paul can refer to him as my child, and that I become a father to him in the faith. Onesimus has had a conversion experience and now shares the same faith of Paul and his master, Philemon. Now, according to the culture and according to the context of the day, what do you imagine? How could, how could you imagine if you put yourself back in that time? How do you think people typically respond, according to the law and the culture, to a runaway slave? Do they show them kindness? The answer would be... 
No! <laughs> according to the law, according to what the Romans had laid in place, if you've got a runaway slave, if you've got a runaway servant, my goodness, you can execute them. You can publicly humiliate them. You can not only execute them, you can make it hard on their whole family. I mean, the whole concept of slavery and such was very commonplace. And the, the distinction between master and slave or servant was very definitive. And a runaway slave, a runaway servant... This was not good according to that culture. And therefore, kindness is the last thing, the furthest thing that would have been expected by the culture of that time for Philemon to express to Onesimus. And yet here we have Paul writing to Philemon, saying, Philemon, I'm asking you, I'm appealing to you, to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in faith while here in prison. He's had a conversion experience and now also claims the same faith that you and I do. Onesimus, which means useful, wasn't much use to you before. But now, because of this change, because of what has taken place in terms of faith, now there is a whole new meaning to what it is to be useful. He is now very useful to both of us, and I am sending him back to you. And with him comes my own heart. This is the beginning of what I would characterize as as taking the reality and situation of Onesimus and applying to Onesimus a radical reframe a radical shift in perspective, a radically different way of thinking about how he should respond as Philemon to Onesimus. Paul is asking and even somewhat demanding of Philemon to change the way he thinks because of his faith. Let me show you the drastic and significant nature of it. It's actually revealed later in the letter. If we keep going on, it says, I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. That's a lot of what we were talking about last week, that that there's this invitation to participate in what God is doing. It's not a forced thing, but it really is something we are called to do. It's something that we as Christians really, we really lean into it. We are held captive to it. And so he picks up, it seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. Verse 16. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now, he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Paul is saying... Onesimus, in how you previously saw him, pictured him, understood him, it has to change. No longer when you see him and interact with Onesimus, no longer when you interact with him, are you interacting with him based on a relationship of master and slave. It's not like that anymore. 
It is as brother to brother. Once Onesimus became part of this faith family that has completely changed the entire orientation, the entire framework in which you understand and were in relationship with Onesimus. And because you share the same faith, you are of the same faith family. He is not a slave. He is your brother. And as such, you welcome home, not a servant crawling back to his master, but you welcome a brother who made decisions, good or bad, elsewise, a brother who carries a past, a brother who has done things previous, but you welcome home now a brother, and this is a family homecoming now. I am sending back to you not someone that you simply can use and abuse, but rather I'm sending a family member home to you. Sometimes I feel like in our contemporary culture, and specifically even in contemporary church, we lose sight and we forget often the radical nature of the gospel. The significance of the change and the transformation. We sometimes get complacent in our faith. And here we have Philemon getting in our face this letter, this book saying, look, the gospel is truly transformative. It is truly radical. It, it takes the slave and makes them your brother, your sister in faith. As I was reading this through, I couldn't help but think of the story Jesus tells of the prodigal son. Uh, how many of you know the story of the prodigal son when I say that? Okay, so a fair number of you. So I, I cannot help but think of that specific story where in the story you have this a brother. You have two brothers, and one of the brothers goes to the dad and says, Dad, I want my inheritance. I want my money early. Even though you're not dead, I want it now. The, the, the dad actually gives it to him. The guy runs off, squanders the money, makes a bunch of poor decisions, runs away. He ends up in a really bad spot and says, I'll come crawling back to my dad, and hopefully he'll just take me as like his servant, as a slave. Not, not as a son, not as a brother, not as a family member, but just as kind of that, that, just let me work for him. And as he comes home, when he comes home, it is a radically different experience than his expectations had. The father runs out to him, hugs him, loves him, and overwhelms him with grace. It's, it's a joyous homecoming. Here, too, this is the exact same thing that Paul is talking about. He's following, following through on Jesus' teachings and the way Jesus would have us think and live and make decisions. He's saying, look, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. And as Onesimus comes home, it is as if the prodigal son comes home. The son who made choices, ran away, did whatever, you hold grudges against him. None of that matters anymore in light of the gospel. You have a brother coming home to you. This is something to be celebrated and excited about. This is the prodigal son coming home to a father 
This is a joyous family reunion, Philemon, where you welcome now Onesimus, not as he used to be, but as someone who shares family with you. It is a complete departation. It is a complete refusal and rejection of the way that the world and culture defines and expects things. And it leans now into a whole new framework of Christian life and living according to the teachings and principles and realities of Jesus Christ. Paul is coming to Philemon and he is coming to us saying, look, you no longer live according to the way the world makes and lives and does decision making. You live now according to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace therein. And because of grace, because of Jesus, we live and make decisions that are so different, they are radically different, that you would welcome home not a slave, but a brother. How many of you have siblings? You have brothers and sisters? You guys have brothers and sisters? Okay. Um, if, you got an only, if you're an only child, you got a cousin out there or something? Somebody, right? You got a family relative? I have a brother. I've got a brother. Is he here at the service? I think he normally comes next service. Okay. He's going to be really embarrassed next service. I got to talk about him. Uh, when I think about my brother, um, I actually have a, a lot of fondness. I have a lot of appreciation. Um, not that I haven't done stupid things. Not that I haven't been the Onesimus in the relationship and run off and offended him and made stupid mistakes in my relationship with him. But, but when I think of my brother right now, there's an overwhelming sense of appreciation, of fondness, of care, of love. I look up to him. I aspire to be like him. I, I aspire to, to live my faith in a way out in the world that he does in his workplace. It's easy for me because I'm a pastor. He's out there in, in other situations where he really is put to the test in terms of what it means to be a Christian man in the world. And I, I, I can't help that when I think of him, there is a love and affection and an appreciation for him. Paul is saying, in the same way that I feel that towards my brother, I am to welcome all members of our faith. I am to welcome even the runaway slave, the one who has offended me in my household, the one who's abandoned me. I am to love them in the same way that I love my own brother. And that is a, a significant shift. That is a reframe. Radical reframe. That the Christian witness and gospel pushes us into. He even says, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Give him that lavish homecoming. Give him that lavish welcome. When he comes home, celebrate. 
as if it was me. If he's wronged you anyway or owes you anything, charge it to me. Now remember, Philemon would have been even economically dependent upon his household and the servants and slaves therein. So there has been an offense occurred in relation to Philemon between them, not only in terms of abandonment and running away, but also there's some practical things that took place. There's some practical economic realities that took place in terms of Philemon and Onesimus. But Paul says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. I love it. Don't you love Paul sometimes? He's, he's, it is, it's okay to laugh. He's good, man. Paul knows what's up. Paul is even taking the chance to help the, the complete reorientation. He's helping Philemon not only reorient himself in terms of how he understands and defines Onesimus even in his slave and master, but even in terms of what really matters, economics or your very soul. He's challenging not only relational dynamics, but even on a broader sense. So he says, yes, brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I'm confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing, please prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And that's how it ends. There's two things I want to touch on. One, we've been talking about all of this in terms of how Philemon responds to Onesimus coming home. But could you imagine what it's like to be Onesimus? We didn't talk about that yet. Wait, you want me to go where? You want me to go back? Back? Don't you know I'm a runaway slave? Don't you know what happens to runaway slaves? You want me to go back to him? Are you crazy? Yeah. I am sending you back. And not only as I send you back, but your relationship to him, the way in which you treat Philemon, needs to be as that of family, Onesimus. Onesimus, you no longer simply work for yourself because you have to work for the master. You now apply yourself and work for the well-being of Philemon and his household because that's your family. You are working for your family. You want Philemon to succeed in all things. You want him to be provided for in all things. You now no longer work for him as his slave. You work for him as a brother taking care of another brother. I mean, you want to talk about a radical reframe? This goes two ways. Philemon looking at Onesimus and Onesimus looking at Philemon. And this is what the gospel does. This is what grace and Jesus Christ does. It demands of us a shift in our worldview. How we think and make decisions and act. We live not according to the the principles and principalities of the world, but according to the grace found in Jesus Christ. 
That's why the letter ends the way it does. Did you see the end of the letter? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It sounds a lot like the way the letter started. Remember the start of the letter? May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. We talked about last week how that beginning of the letter really sets it up saying, look, we start with the gospel. We start with Jesus on the cross. And the fact that Jesus loves us so much, he loves you so much, and he wants so desperately for you to live life to the fullest, to the most, to experience forgiveness, to experience reconciliation, to experience forgiveness and hope and life, that he would die for you and be resurrected again so that you too might one day be resurrected. God is so adamant about working for your good in this world that he in himself would do that for you. That you might experience grace and peace through Jesus Christ. And so the reason we live different and the reason we make decisions differently is because we know our God loves us. And has claimed us. That's how the letter started. Now we find at the end of the letter, finishing in a very similar manner. Saying almost, Philemon, I know the radical shift that I have asked and demanded of you is significant. I understand that. But so too is the gospel radical so too is the grace that God has for you. The, 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 the length to which God will go for you and your well-being. God's love is radical. His generosity is radical. His kindness is radical. And it is for you. And as such, we now live different. We treat Onesimus different. This letter, it it begs of us, it invites us to ask the question of what type of radical reframe and shifts in perspective is the gospel and the grace of Christ leading me into? You probably don't have a runaway slave at home. I really hope you don't. But you probably have some things that need to be challenged in terms of how you see and understand the world, see and understand others, See and understand yourself. That you need to allow the gospel to begin to move you to a new worldview and framework. A new perspective. It could be in relation to how you see and understand your spouse. It could be in relation to how you see and understand your kids. It could be in relation to how you see and understand your work or your vocation. It could be in relation to your dreams or your aspirations. It could be in relation to habits and hurts and hang-ups in your past. It can be in relation to any number of things. But this letter demands of us. It confronts us with the gospel and says, you are loved and you are now part of the Christian family. What type of life does that therefore lead you to live? Who are the Onesimuses in your life that you need to reconcile with? Who do you need to treat as a brother or a sister? What part of your life needs to be transformed radically by the gospel? 
My prayer is that you will be able to revisit this letter any time that you feel like you're in need of a jolt, in need of some, some good, healthy gospel and some good, healthy confrontation with Jesus Christ, you read this letter. When you start feeling yourself shift back into old value sets, you read this letter. And you allow yourself to have that framework and worldview that starts and ends with Jesus' grace. Let's close with a word of prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the grace that is found in your Son and the way in which it transforms and changes our lives in this world. We confess to you too often we fall into the expectations of the world and the cultural pressures and we set aside our Christian faith. And yet out of your same grace, you drag us back, you pull us back, and you continue to move us into a Christian